0: Hey, everybody, I just wanted to uh, thank you for tuning in to the Art of Resilience podcast. Really excited about this project. And, you know, the 20th anniversary of the Iraq War just so happened to kind of coincide with uh, when we decided to kick this off. So, uh, part of that is uh, a series uh, inside of the podcast, uh, our 20th anniversary series, where I'm interviewing uh other guys that served in the military guys that i served with in the iraq war really the point of it is to tell their story somewhat reflect on what our opinions were of the the war in iraq i think most of us really didn't care you know about the politics it was more about the men that were fighting to the left and right of us i know for me you know all i cared about was making sure that i got everybody home safe making sure that i made tactically sound decisions that wouldn't put us at any kind of undue risk. You know, the more important part of the story, regardless of why we're there is, you know, that all these men that fought over there are samples of our country. You know, they're, they're men that live here, in the United States that were young, went to go, you know, do something they believed was noble. Quite frankly, it, war is traumatic i really wanted to share their stories because most of us to include myself you know had something to figure out after we got back after after experiencing the trauma of of war being blown up and shot at fighting for your life you know the transition into civilian life uh, is difficult you know and and it's, it's hard to wrap your head around that until it happens you know and then when it does happen you're left wondering how did this happen and what the hell am I going to do? You know, I just want to be normal again. I want to be okay. I want to have a happy life just like everybody else seems to, you know, (laughs) and it, you know, it takes a while to figure that out and you'll see that in these stories. And you know, that's really what I want to share is I want people to be able to relate to the men that they're, they're listening to. And, you know, maybe, recognize something in themselves, you know, because having post-traumatic stress or depression or anything like that is not a unique experience for a combat veteran. Several people have it. I mean, trauma is, is a normal part of life that doesn't necessarily have to result in a lifetime of suffering. And, you know, these men have been through it you know suicidal lost or failed marriages relationships jobs um you know and it's taken years to figure out how to overcome all of that but what you'll see is that these men have not given up they haven't quit they continue to fight until they do figure it out and figure out how to be happy and because at the end of the day you know that's really what we all want I think it's really incredible to see the personal courage and strength that these men have in telling their story and being vulnerable enough to share things that might be a little embarrassing. I talked to all of them before doing the interview and let them know, you know, why I was doing this. And that made them 10 times more eager to participate and share their story because, like myself, they want to help other people too. You know, it's just that constant servant leadership that is ingrained in them from a young age, being in the military, you know, their mission hasn't stopped. So I'm really excited to share this series with you guys. And uh, I hope that, you know, if anybody is out there that watches this uh, or listens to it on, you know, whatever podcast platform you're listening to resonates with you, comment subscribe to our show, you know, reach out to us, you know, maybe you're a veteran or have an awesome story that you would like to share that would also help people. That's what this is all about. You know, the, the podcast is called the art of resilience because it is an art, you know, it it takes a holistic approach. There's no one size fits all method to figuring out how to overcome your bullshit. It takes focusing on your health, You know, your physical fitness, your mindset, having a good social network and somebody to talk to, and even doing something like this, telling your story is in itself therapeutic. Learning that telling their story and sharing what they're experiencing with other people is one of the most healing things uh, that they can do. I hope that uh, you really enjoy hearing these guys' stories And uh, I'll talk to you
1: soon. All right, all right. So I'm your host, Chris Call, and welcome to the Art of Resilience podcast, where heroes and high performers come to learn how to maximize mental and physical resilience and own your purpose. So this is our first episode. And for the first episode, we're actually going to be interviewing one of our co-founders, Jim Artman. I'm going to introduce him right here. And uh, he's going to give a brief background of himself right after this. But um, first off, me and Jim actually met um on season three of the blocks television tv show for entrepreneurs uh back in about a year and a half ago um we have uploaded our first video already but this is going to be our first podcast episode for the art of resilience um i have a very entrepreneurial background so that's kind of like my background of of resilience and high performance and you know just got to be on your a-game all day long um and i started out at a real estate tech startup and i transitioned and started my own company it's actually the dive live dating app that was acquired by another dating app called love hut um back in august of 2022 and uh now i have a marketing agency it's called click genie and i also sell real estate and life insurance <laughs> so um i'm gonna let jim introduce himself now and this podcast is gonna be all about him and um also we're gonna get into his opinion and perspective um, of the Iraq war and how it impacted him, um, as an individual. And also, you know, his, his life experience and like what led him to here today. Um, a lot of that, um, was due to like his experiences, um, and struggles with, you know, things that happened uh, with the Iraq war and, um, we're coming up right now on almost 20 years uh, anniversary since, you know, the U S invaded Iraq, um, and uh, I'll let Jim introduce himself, and we'll get into it right from here.
0: Thanks, Chris. So, uh, like I said, my name is Jim Artman, and um, yeah, my background—I served eight years in the Army, uh, most of most of which is serving as a sniper and a sniper school instructor uh, with two tours in combat in Iraq. Um, like you said, Chris, you know. <clears throat> It's a twenty year. It's been 20 years since the beginning of the Iraq war. And I read an article in the New York Times about uh, how kids are learning about this in school. <laughs> and, uh, you know, suddenly I felt old, <laughs> you know, that the war that I fought in is in textbooks now. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, I felt like it would be uh, an interesting opportunity to you know, just kind of reflect on that and, you know, discuss, you know, sort of what my thoughts were then versus now, um, you know, and kind of how that impacted me. So looking forward to our discussion. Yeah,
1: for sure. So honestly, let's just, let's go back to the very beginning. Um, I guess like, I mean, what was your childhood like it? And, you know, were you, were you happy as a kid?
0: Growing up, by uh, you know, my grandfather, he was, uh, he was, he fought in the Korean War in the Air Force, uh, and served on B-29 bombers. And from a pretty young age, uh, he was sort of grooming me to go into the Air Force, uh, would take me to air shows and, <clears throat> in, in Dayton, uh, back when they could still fly over you and break the sound barrier over the crowd, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think a C-35 crash into the crowd ruined that for everyone. (laughs) But, uh, you know, so for a long time growing up, I was super excited about the prospect of being a fighter pilot. I just thought there was not much cooler than going mock Jesus in an F-18, you know? Um, (laughs) But my uncle died when I was 14. And before he died, You know, he saw my grandfather was always, you know, kind of pushing me in that direction to go into the Air Force and fly. And he said, you know, you don't, you don't have to do whatever your grandpa says, you know, and he had this book about Army Rangers and it was showing me, you know, these pictures of guys jumping out of airplanes and stuff. And he just thought they were the greatest. And, you know, when he died, um... You know, we were pretty close and, you know, I just sort of decided pretty easily, pretty quickly. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to, I'm going to go do that. You know, I want to, I'm going to go be an army ranger. So that's what I did. I, I enlisted with a, a ranger contract, went straight from infantry basic training, airborne school to ranger docination program and ended up in first Ranger of time. Uh,
1: Yeah. That's awesome. So do you want, you want to talk about, um, you know, how that, I guess, um, were, were your aspirations always, you know, about joining the military or did you have other goals when you were growing up as well? Or, or was like, was Ranger or Air Force, was that with your only, your only like ideas that you had for, you know, where you're going to, what you're going to do basically.
0: Um, yeah, I mean, pretty much from a, a real young age, I, knew that I was going to join the military. Um, I was very interested in cooking. Uh, still to this day, sometimes I consider, you know, maybe opening a restaurant. I love to cook, but the restaurant industry is messy. Uh, it's a lot of work that I don't know that I really want to take on, but I do love to cook for myself and my family and friends. Um, you know, just having dinner parties and stuff like that. Um, you know, and since be since getting out, you know, really focusing on how to do that to, you know, optimize my nutrition, uh, kind of adds like a whole nother level of fun for me in, in the kitchen, you know, just really fortifying meals with healthy fats and, as much vitamins and minerals as I can um, and knowing that I'm doing that for my family, mostly without them knowing it, <laughs> you know, just adding lots of olive, olive oil or spices, fresh herbs and things uh, I know that will benefit their health, but it also tastes awesome. You know, it's it's fun for me. So, you know, I, I think that when I was real young, when I first joined, uh, I remember thinking like, Oh, maybe, you know, I'll open my own restaurant someday. Um, But that's pretty much it, you know. But when I was, I enlisted when I was 17 years old before I started my senior year of high school. And, you know, I remember telling the recruiter, I want to do the hardest thing that I can and I want to kill people. (laughs) You know, that was sort of my mindset back then. It's like... I just wanted to smoke dudes and you know push myself and do something really challenging, um, but yeah, that's that's pretty. Yeah, much so it. you had
1: basically had you know you had a crossroad between whether you wanted to be a chef or you know a ranger artman, and uh, obviously you chose that that ranger route. So, how many deployments did you have total?
0: Uh, two two total deployments. Uh, the first one I did. Was much shorter with First Ranger Battalion. Uh, the second one I did was during the, you know big push or invade. You know, I, I can't remember what they called it exactly, but they were doing fifteen month deployments. Uh, so I did a fifteen month there with Three uh, Seven Infantry, and Third ID. And it was, it was actually so when I left Ranger Battalion and went there. Um, I had, you know, a scroll on one shoulder or on both shoulders, surround sound is what they used to call it. <laughs> uh, and when I was in, the, the office signing into the battalion, the Sergeant major was there and he saw my combat scroll and CIB and which is a combat infantry badge, he was like, you yeah, know, you have any experience as a sniper or working with snipers? I sort of lied I <laughs> <and> said yes, because <laughs> I knew that's exactly where I wanted to go. Um, so <laughs> he was like, all right, you're going to the snipers. So I went there and had to try out and, you know, made it through tryouts. And within a few months, was sent to sniper school, came back and ended up taking over the sniper team before deployment.
1: That's awesome you want to talk more about that? Like your experience um, as a sniper?
0: Sure. Uh, I mean, I loved it, honestly. Um, You know, for me, what I loved about being a sniper and working with snipers is, you know, first and foremost, we're infantrymen. Um, But, you know, we were also, we had to be a very self-sufficient unit. So, you know, Half of us were EMT trained. We could do call for fire missions, um, you know, proficient at everything, infantry, um, you know, and so, so there was that. And then the other thing I liked about it was the autonomy, really, you know, we were trusted by commanders to make our own battlefield decisions, plan our own missions and, um, uh, the other thing I really loved about it was I spent a lot less time in vehicles, you know, the majority of the time, if I was outside the wire, uh, if anybody, you know, being civilians or bad guys knew it, then I was doing something wrong. So, yeah. you know, being able to hang out, uh, collect battlefield intelligence, engage targets of opportunity, um, you know, without anybody knowing that we were there was a lot more attractive to me than waiting to get blown up in a convoy. So, yeah.
1: yeah. Oh, definitely. Um, and what did you do when you, when you first got out of the military?
0: So uh, the last three years that I was in, uh, I worked at sniper school as an instructor and you know spent a lot of time in in the woods uh sniper school the army sniper schools at fort Benning georgia um and I started getting really into mushroom hunting <laughs> you know <laughs> uh, you know I bought field guides and and was started to teach myself you know how to go out and find Food and medicine. A lot of people think I'm always referring to drugs. I'm not. Um, yeah. You'd be know, <laughs> you hard pressed to find a uh, psilocybe species of mushrooms in Fort but, <laughs> <laughs> um, So, you know, I was just so enamored by the field of mycology and, you know, found, and it was very therapeutic for me to spend all that time in the woods. So, you know, the idea of going to school studying science and uh you know getting a phd in mycology and creating field guides on mushrooms you know sounded great to me i also uh got really into permaculture you know sustainable regenerative agriculture practice and you know envisioned my life wearing some liberty overalls uh you know having orchards um you know making jams and you know just yeah, grow yeah. mushrooms having people come out teach them how to do that stuff you know just sounded like a idealistic way to live my life you know i said Appalachian great like
1: that whole thing was permaculture right like a sure, very, yeah, little, absolutely portion of it yeah
0: yeah later on i ended up starting a business installing that stuff for other people so um but so anyways, I, I went straight from the active duty military, uh, from Fort Benning into, uh, working on a degree in molecular biology and biochem at Bowling Green State University in Ohio. <clears throat> and, um, you know, I loved it. I, I was doing, um, I, I sort of, I started with an environmental science, uh, major, Uh, And quickly realized that, actually, I'm pretty sure I told the dean of that program that it uh, felt more of like a familiarization in science than an actual hard study of science. Um, And so I ended up switching to molecular biology and did some epigenetics research while I was there. Awesome. tell me tell me more about like your transition I
1: guess from the military like how did your family take it um you know just like go
0: into like details like that I guess like right so when I got out, I was married at the time I had been with my ex-wife for about ten years and it didn't take too long before um you know I really started to experience more advanced symptoms of PTSD, um, you know, and I guess just being in in college atmosphere surrounded by people that, you know, I couldn't really relate to, you know, it was probably part of that. Um, and it wasn't too long after that where, you know, I ended up going through a divorce and so that was pretty tough on me. Um, you know, kind of trying to transition out of the military, be a full-time college student, go through a divorce. We had a, a, a child together that was uh, very young. She was born the year I got out. Um, you know, so I sort of started, you know, s- s- spiraling after that. Uh, you know, went from being on the dean's list to uh, doing research to barely being able to make it to class. So, uh, I started drinking a lot more, um, eating a lot of LSD. (laughs) Um, yeah, I just, I just, I I was struggling and, you know, got to the point to where it got so bad that I was suicidal. Um, you know, was frequently feeling like sticking a gun in my mouth. You know, it, it was awful. I was a shell of a human. And I really didn't want to move up to Ohio, which is where <clears throat> which is where I was raised. But there just really wasn't much there for me. I really enjoyed the South. And, the, you know, I was, I was exposed to much more than what <clears throat> the small town of Finley, Ohio could offer me especially being somebody who was, you know, kind of a blowhard about organic sustainable agriculture being surrounded by, you know, <laughs> corn and bean fields. And I don't know, it was just a much different atmosphere. And I did, I felt very of place being there. So I ended up moving to East Tennessee where I had some other family, uh, some, some other siblings that lived there and, you know, kind of, started to work on getting my feet back under me being there in the mountains and you you mentioned um you know
1: the ptsd was there like any specific things that you that you think like caused it like any specific or just like you know a culmination of of your experiences um with what you experienced in the war and everything
0: yeah so um you know war is pretty terrifying um you know, there's plenty of guys that have been through a lot of worse things than myself. Um, I think within days of being there, uh, <clears throat> on my second deployment, there was a patrol base that was receiving sniper fire. <laughs> and so we were called on to go investigate that and, You know, as I went and 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 looked at areas where I I felt like they were probably being engaged from, based on my experience as a sniper, I did find some you know seven six two casings laying on the ground, some bipod marks, um, but it was from a machine gun. And yeah, we got we we found ourselves caught between some fish farms. We were right up against the Euphrates. River, and uh, Musaib, Canaria area. And, yeah. You know, so within days of arriving in country, you know, I ended up finding myself in a firefight and, you know, it was, it was pretty, it was pretty intense. You know, the first few months that we were there, uh, I think that's pretty typical. Whenever a unit does a handoff to a new one, taking over area of operation, the enemy likes to you know, step up their game, if you will, and, uh, try to intimidate, I guess the, the new unit. Uh, yeah, they, that, that whole area was really littered with IDs. So, and that's, you know, both on the road and, uh, what they would call dismount IEDs or basically landmines. Uh, they are all over the place. Um, <laughs> uh, our, our units actually lost a couple of men due to those, uh, just walking. So, um i went through some of that stuff um you know was involved in a convoy that was uh you know where there was an ied blast the vehicle directly in front of me and you know that was pretty catastrophic lost some guys then so um you know i think just all of it uh had me pretty rattled, you know, I I really don't like loud noises, Um, but, you know, pretty typical of most combat veterans, you know, the hypervigilance for sure, you know, I I feel like every time I go out somewhere, you know, I got to look at everybody, you know, stuff like that. Um, But, you know, at first it was really unclear to me how those types of things were affecting me in the way that they were um you know just like i went from being a staff sergeant teaching sniper school being very high functioning married with a child and um and homeowner to i could barely take care of myself you know misery yeah
1: it's just it's that transition is like it's it's just so difficult for so many veterans um and you know, we're gonna see like People that we interview on here, um, but you know, a lot of them have similar stories. Um, and yeah, I mean, just just keep talking about like some instances that that you think um, you know may have like caused this trauma. Not not saying like um, from the war. I'm saying like more like reactions that you had when you got out um, that were like PTSD related.
0: Um. Uh, well. I'll tell you one. There, there was a. So my little brother actually joined the military, did a couple tours in Afghanistan. On his second tour, uh, I was on the list to as the person to be called from the. Uh, I can't remember what they call them. The wives, you know, it would sort of communicate what was going on with the unit. Next deployment. to kin? Next to Ken. What is it? Next of kin or whatever? Uh. So, well, not really next to Ken. I can't think of what they call it. But, uh, I don't know. Anyways, he had gotten into an engagement, and I got a phone call letting me know that that had happened. He was okay, um, but you know, at that time, I'd been out of the military for about a year or so, and you know, it was really, really feeling it. You know, just not doing great, and. I had talked my little brother into joining the military, you know, which, you know, I was at the height of my military career. So I'm like, dude, come on. It's great. You know, <laughs> he wasn't doing much. He was in high school. Uh, I'm like, you know, do this for a little while. Get some free college out of it, you know, see if you like it. If not get out and at least you will buy herself some time to, to figure it out, you know? Yeah. So when I had heard that he, you know, in a sense had been touched by war, you know, where he had to experience something like that. Uh, it was pretty devastating to me, honestly. Um, cause I never wanted that for him. Um, so I, I carry a lot of guilt with me and I remember, going home. I had a roommate at the time when I was in college and, uh, this movie come up, he was watching this movie with Christian Bale. I can't remember the name of it, but, um, there was a scene that sort of like really triggered me <laughs> where this guy was talking about, you know, how awful deployment was for him. And I kind of started to freak out and ended up like going out my front yard and was like having a full on panic attack, like snot coming out of my face, like just sobbing uncontrollably. Um, And it took me what seemed like a very long time to snap out of that. And I remember in that moment being angry and feeling like, you know, I just, I was like, I just need to go back into it. You know, I was highly qualified to go serve in the same same or similar capacity for, you know, contract companies overseas, you know, something like Blackwater, Triple Canopy and make great money, (laughs) you know. I was like, maybe I should just go do that. But You know, part of the reason I got out of the military was because I wanted to preserve more of the person than I feel like I am. You know, like I feel genuinely like I'm a very kind individual and I don't know, just living in that life lifestyle where, you know, you're surrounded by people that salivate over the idea of smoking somebody or shooting them in the face you do sort of, I feel like, lose a part of yourself, you know. Yeah, you also grew there too, I feel like. Because, I mean,
1: like, as you said, when you were going into the military, you know, like, you literally you literally wanted to go somewhere where you can smoke as many guys as you can, you know. And, um, you know, now you have, you, you obviously you grew over that time that you were in there, um, and you had this mindset of, you know, now, like, you realize that maybe that person that you thought you wanted to be or that you thought you were um, is, you know, isn't there anymore. You know what I mean? Like it affected you, I feel like, um, which, I mean, it's, it's, it's a good thing. You know what I mean? I, I think everyone's different and um, you know, the way you handle, um, you know, looking after yourself, like you look for the resources. Obviously we haven't talked about that yet in this podcast, but um, I mean, I mean, I know you personally, and obviously you've looked for the resources to, to help you because you are here right now, you know, and there's a lot of people can't say that because, you know, they, they, they weren't able to overcome, you know, that PTSD, like, you know, it it overcame them. And, um, yeah, I mean, just congratulations. (laughs) Like it seriously though, like it's, it's, you should pat yourself in the back every single day because I couldn't imagine that. Um, and there's a lot of people, you know, they they're not here because they, they were overcome by that as well.
0: Right. Well, what I had realized in that moment, um, you know, when, when those feelings were coming up that I was like, you know what, I'm just going to go back to it was that I was like the reason why that I think felt like was an attractive option for me in that moment was because it was easier than dealing with what I had been dealing with, you know, And, and I, and I think I realized in that moment that it takes way more strength and courage to address feelings, to have feelings and to be vulnerable. And, you know, that was kind of like, uh, you know, an epiphany like moment for me. And I began to really focus on, you know, how to increase vulnerability for myself. Uh, and incorporate that more so into my life. And to this day, I really believe that choosing to be vulnerable uh, is probably one of the most healing things that somebody can do, you know, Uh, that deep level of connection with yourself and somebody else trusting, you know, that much of yourself to other people without being afraid. Uh, I think is, is, you know, it's, 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 a, it's really important if you want to have, you know, high quality, familial friend, you know, intimate relationships with people, you got to select for that vulnerability. So
1: no, hundred percent. It's also just being honest with yourself as well. I feel like, um, but so it's, it's been 20 years now since the anniversary that we discussed the in the podcast, um, since the very beginning of the Iraq war. So what were you doing like the morning of 9-11 when the Twin Towers were being attacked on the news? Do you really remember that?
0: Yeah, I do. Um, So I was in, I was in my sophomore year of high school that year and I think we were sitting in our homeroom, you know, between third and fourth period or whatever of school and yeah, the teacher turned the TV on and, you know, there's smoke billowing out of the tower, and you know, like everybody else, just like sort of in shock, disbelief. Um. And I knew, you know, I I, I knew at that time that you know my plan was to go into the military, and I think I probably realized that you know, this meant that I was going to be more likely to be in combat. I think though, <laughs> being uh, a couple years out from graduating, I was more worried that I was going to miss out. <laughs> i wait like, man, I hope it's still going on when I get in, <laughs> you know?
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, it lasted so long. That's the crazy thing. You know, like people that, you know probably joined 10 years later from that on you know we're able to see combat so yeah
0: good. yeah it's wild
1: what's even more wild is uh you know how does it make you feel like knowing that kids are literally learning about this war that you fought in like when you were in school and obviously you you, you were in combat during Iraq war but like what do you think about that like kids are learning about you know this iraq war that happened like what's your opinion on that take
0: <laughs> i mean like i said it, it makes me feel a little bit old I guess Um, I mean I've been out I got out of the military 2012 went in in 2004 so you know even just thinking about the fact that I've been out of the military now for 11 years is you know pretty wild because even though it was that long ago you know the last time I was in Iraq was back in we came back in 2008 so Uh, which is like, what, 15 years ago. Um, even though it was that long ago, it still feels like yesterday, you know, I still remember, I don't know, almost everything, I guess, you know, all the men that I worked with and, you know, experiences that we had together.
1: Yeah. I know you touched base on it a little bit already. Um, but what was like your last deployment like, um,
0: in Iraq? Um. Well, it was, uh, It was like I said, it was in uh, the Musaib, Escanaria area, and, you know, I had never heard of those places until I was going there. Uh, they called it, uh, they referred to this area as the Sunni Death Triangle, <laughs> uh, and it was about a 30 to 40 minute helicopter ride south of Baghdad on the Euphrates. The FOB, the forward operating base that we worked out of uh, was basically just a giant power plant with a wall around it. And we, the snipers and the scouts were actually, uh, <laughs> we had our own little living area on the opposite corner of the FOB from the whole rest of the battalion. And it was the only, we were the only ones that were living in like a actual hard stand building. Actually, I take that back the mortars were directly across the street and had their own building too, um, but right in, directly in front of the house that we were staying in, which had a courtyard and a yard, um, there was the river was there, and we had, there was a boat launch there. Uh, you know, we used to climb up on the roof and tan and hit golf, try to hit golf balls over the Euphrates, um, and <clears throat> You know, like I said, it, it was it was pretty violent when we first got there. Um, so when we first got there, the area north of the base uh, was pretty heavily defended by um, the enemy, and it was sort of our main main mission when we got there to do rock clearance and establish some p- patrol bases north of the fob. And, you know, kind of run the, run the enemy out of the area. Um, It was around the same time also that they had initiated the, what they called Sons of Iraq program, which really, we all hated it. It basically created a situation to where military age males were supposed to be maining checkpoints along the route to deter IED emplacement. as long as they're wearing a PT, a PT belt or a road guard vest or something to indicate to us that that's what they were doing because all of these men were armed. <laughs> so, you know, now we're driving around in our area of operation, and there's dudes walking around with AKs. Sometimes they wore a PT belt. Sometimes they didn't, you know. And so trying to determine who our enemy was became that much more difficult. And, you know, of course, as you can imagine, a lot of those guys were, you know, not not our friends. You know, even though they were getting uh, some form of payment every month for being willing to stand there... <clears throat> I, uh, I'm certain that a lot of them were corrupt and, you know, not helping us, if you will. So, it was kind of a weird situation, um, but, at, you know, from as a sniper, we, we spent a lot of our time, you know, just being sort of the eyes and ears of the commanders in their respective areas of operation, and... Um, about, I don't know, three quarters of the way through that deployment, uh, one of the infantry companies, uh, had sustained some losses and really needed some, some leadership. And at that point in the deployment, I don't really know that anybody wanted us Shooting anyone anyways, <laughs> you know just uh from a sort of hot hearts and minds perspective, just sort of maintaining peace so uh myself and a couple other sniper guys ended up going to alpha company and 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 helping them out and it was when I was with them where you know I was involved in a convoy where <clears throat> You know, the vehicle in front of me was blown up, and we lost some men. Um. So, do
1: you do you think that played like the largest role in like um you know like your the PTSD that you sustained and just like the the mental, you know injuries that that you sustained I guess like throughout
0: like your own life. I don't know. It's it's hard to say. Um, You know, that night, we had an informant with us, and he was supposed to be taking us to a cachet site. None of us felt good about it. You know, it was, we were taking routes that were pretty sketchy. Uh, it was at night, and, you know, when it happened, I mean, it was, it happened directly in front of me. Um, you know, I sort of broke protocol. Like, you know, we train, you know, if a vehicle in front of you gets blown up, in most cases, you back up. If your vehicle is still, you know, working, you back up, get out of the the, the kill zone, if you will. Uh, and don't, um, you know, immediately run up there because there could be somebody watching that could initiate a secondary blast, kill you as well. You know, uh, I pretty much did not care about that. You know, I was i immediately ran to the blast site and wanted to, you know, make sure those guys were okay. And, um, you know, coming around the side of the vehicle and seeing, you know, it was awful. You know, just seeing, you know, your friends in pieces, you know, hanging out of the vehicle, like, it's very shocking, um, but I, you know, I remember setting my rifle down, taking my helmet off, and just taking this like real deep breath and exhale as like got rid of feeling anything in that moment. Yeah, I just stuffed it so that way I could climb into that vehicle, pull out, you know, survivors that were in the back of the MRAP. Um, and you know, the vehicle's on fire You know, it was battery acid burning and stuff. And, you know, um, I like coughing up blood, but I didn't even notice, um, just because of the intensity of it. And, you know, we did, the driver was crammed underneath the, the steering wheel and, we felt like there was no way that he was alive, but we tugged on his gear until we were able to get him out of there and he was alive, you know? So we immediately started working on him and, you know, it was just, it was pretty awful, but I don't know that I could say that that one experience is what really did me in, you know, just, I think, just being in constant danger for that long. Um, I don't know, you know, when you're just, when you're driving down the road and every, every rock or every piece of trash looks like it's something that's gonna kill you. I think yeah. that the accumulation of that over time. Just um, plays a toll. Pro, all. yeah, absolutely.
1: Did, were you injured yourself though from that experience like any or have you ever experienced like any actual physical injuries um during your deployments
0: no i was pretty lucky yeah um yeah our 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 sniper teams never got uh, compromised at least the ones that i was running um you know i i i really i cared more about getting my men home alive and myself home alive uh, than I did anything else. So um, I, I did my best as a 21, 22 year old <laughs> to yeah. make sound combat That's decisions. Wild, yeah. To make sound decisions that would not end up getting us killed, you know? So.
1: Would you uh, say that like you like grew up faster yeah. than you, than you like, you think you would have if because of the military i'm sure that's probably like a yes but i'm just curious to see your take on it
0: uh that's actually a good question i i would say yes and no um yes in terms of you know i was a 21 year old planning sniper missions <laughs> <laughs> you know <it's, laughs> that seems ridiculous i'm 37 now it's like who the fuck lets yeah. a 21 year old i'm sure
1: you went back to like you went back to school and like yeah bowling green you see all these dipshits like just partying their asses off and like you know when when they were when you were in there like the footsteps, you know what I mean? Like you were, like you said, you were planning sniper missions while, you know, they're just playing beer pong with their frat brothers. You know what I mean? Yeah.
0: I mean, whenever I was, yeah. Whenever I'd see uh ROTC cadets at, <clears throat> at school, I would always be like, Hey man, don't let them take you alive. You know? <laughs> 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 and uh, yeah. So in that respect, sure. I did grow up a, a lot you know, hard and fast, uh, learning about leadership and, you know, really just overcoming mental limitations. Um, you know, sometimes that's a daily interface, you know, when you're on a a tough run or rock or literally anything you're doing in the military, you know, you're pushing yourself past that comfort zone where you hear that bitch sound in your head telling you you can't do anymore, but you just keep going anyways. Um, so I'm grateful for that. But on the other side of it, um, you know, a lot of people joke around that the military is like your mom and dad, <laughs> you know, you're sort of shielded from, you know, what everyone else is going through as they leave high school, you know, where you have to, you don't have that mom and dad, you know, military like accountability. And it's up to you to have your own personal accountability and self discipline to achieve all the things that you want to. I don't know that without the military you know, as a 18, 19 year old that I would have had the self discipline that I would have needed to get through college, you know, for example, um, you know, I was young and liked to party with my friends. And, um, so I think in that respect, you know, there's part of me that maybe didn't grow up in that way if that makes any sense
1: yeah no definitely um and we talked about this a little bit earlier but like what was your first aha moment like in your life um that you can remember where, where you learned like a valuable lesson about like what it really means to be resilient because obviously this whole podcast you know it's about overcoming you know traumas and being your your best version of yourself really so like what was that aha moment um that you realized, like um like your own definition of of what resiliency like really is.
0: You know, it's hard to say what the first one was. I feel like I've had several, um, you know, all coming from different aspects. But I think, you know, when I was really struggling in college with depression, PTSD symptoms, um, like I said, I was studying, you know, molecular biology and, and stuff and very fascinated with that. But at the time, I didn't really care that much about human biology. Um, you know, I was more fascinated with, you know, mycology and solving problems of invasive species or, you know, things of the agriculture, I guess. And it wasn't until... Um, you know, I started having all this stuff going on with me where I really wanted to use the skill sets that I was developing to figure out how to fix myself. Um, I got started really getting into nutrition mostly from like a cognition enhancing sort of perspective, you know, like trying to figure out how I could make my brain work better and faster and sometime in there i discovered uh, more commons book the ultra mind solution which was my first exposure ever to functional medicine and after reading that book you know it made me realize that my health is completely in my control and you know, I don't have to rely on somebody else to do it for me. Actually, I can't rely on somebody else to do it for me. If I do, I'll end up with disease before anybody helps me out. Um, so that was an important distinction for me. And it was very empowering to, you know, continue to investigate, you know, well, how do you, how do you fix yourself? You know, how do you discover the root cause of disease and, um, you know, a lot of that's through food, you know, you, you really fix your biology, fix your gut, reduce the inflammation in your body and subsequently your mind, uh, by not eating like a dipshit. And so I think that was really like the, the first sort of aha for me. It was like, okay, there, this is something that I have control over and I can do. Um, did I immediately do it? No, <laughs> you know, maybe bits and pieces of it. I I worked at a nutrition store and could tell you something about all nine thousand products that were in that store. But you know, I was still still really struggling with uh, my depression and wasn't yet ready to uh, take charge. Uh, of my health uh, in a way that would create the transformation that I really needed.
1: So, would you say, like, um, you like kind of like studying um, these different, you know, fields kind of like helped and like kind of like led to you learning how to heal from war essentially?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, once I discovered functional medicine, I was like, yeah, yeah
1: like, functional medicine is probably the best way. Yeah. Yeah. When
0: I discovered that, I was like, man, this is amazing. You know, like I said before, like when I was in the military, uh, I became super fascinated with permaculture, regenerative organic agriculture practices because I understood how the agricultural practice would impact your health. And so I was kind of already sort of on the leaning towards the hippie spectrum, <laughs> you know, I think uh, that, that kind of happens to a lot of guys where they go from, you know, wanting to shoot people in the face to, you know what, maybe I should shot a little bit and eat a little LSD and eat more vegetables. <laughs> um, so, you know, I just, I had, I developed this skill of being able to, uh, understand, uh, you know, fairly complicated science journal articles. And it turned into a hobby for me really, um, you know, just investigating uh, what PTSD really is, you know, from a neuroscience perspective, um, you know, understanding inflammation in the body, how to treat it. Um, and, yeah, you know, I've just kind of been obsessed with it ever since. Um, you know, I've been following Dr. Mark Hyman's work, still do. I was actually listening to his podcast earlier today. Um, <laughs> Mark Hyman's kind of my spirit animal. <laughs> Love that dude. It's funny too, cause he's, uh, he's also very much into regenerative agriculture, you know? Um, he, I think he views uh, regenerative agriculture as sort of the answer to all the downstream effects of chronic inflammatory disease in our country. So, um, yeah, I mean, I've just, I've been completely fascinated with uh, understanding how, you know, how to fix PTSD um, with myself uh, very passionate to share all that information with other people. I have, you know. Um, so that's pretty much been my main focus. I'm actually planning on finally going back to school, finishing that degree in biology, and uh, applying to med school. So hopefully, uh, hopefully that all works out, uh, and pick up, you know, on that journey of my education.
1: Yeah, no, definitely. To help, um,
0: to help more people, you know?
1: Yeah, no, a hundred percent. I was going to ask you too, like, I mean, obviously you've come a long, long way since, um, you, when you first got out and you were really struggling, um, and you've obviously learned to manage it, but do you still struggle with anything today? Like to this day right now?
0: <sighs> you know, I'm pretty solid now, um, but I will tell you that you know I've kind of developed this opinion about mental health as you know something else you can add to the list of chronic inflammatory disease states. You know, if uh, so, some people, if they you know eat terrible, you know drink too much, you know maybe they develop uh, arthritis or. Psoriasis, um, you know, or diabetes, obesity, you know, all those kinds of cardiovascular disease and, you know, all that stuff is real for pretty much anyone, but for myself, um, the first thing that I notice is all these, you know, the symptoms of depression and anxiety become much more prevalent for me. They're a little louder, you know, my, my, um, uh, resiliency, my mental stress resilience declines. And, um, you know, I've, I've gone, you know, done really well with my health, you know, to where I'm fasting regularly, eating very clean, exercising, and then I've fallen off the health wagon, you know, gotten out of a habit, especially when I, you know, like Periods of my life where, like when I started my business, you know, I'm out building gardens every day and self-employed. You know, got into a habit of you know going out eating, eating out at restaurants, drinking with friends, you know, um, and. As you know, Chris, running a business is difficult (laughs) and it can be incredibly stressful. So, you know, there was moments during that time period where, you know, it was like I had done nothing, you know, when I, and it's funny because I, I had been going through something pretty difficult for a while and, you know, decided that I'd had enough and really, took a huge step in, in fixing myself. And, you know, I lost a whole bunch of weight. Uh, I was very lean. I felt great. And once, you know, after doing that for several months, you know, I finally was at this point to where I'm like, I'm going to start a business. And I did, and I was doing great with it. And then, you know, this was in 2019. You know, so it wasn't too long after that where COVID came in and, you know, quarantine happened and all that. But so my point is, you know, I did all, I did the work. I was doing yoga regularly, you know, meditating regularly, eating very clean. And when I got to that point where my health was awesome. You know, at that point, I'm like, okay, now I'm ready to start a business. And I think that happens for a lot of people where, you know, when you address your lifestyle habits that are hurting you and you fix all that, then, you know, you start new businesses, you enter into better relationships or end ones that are terrible, you know, all kinds of good things happen as a symptom of taking care of yourself. And I experienced that. And, you know, probably took it for granted. I remember thinking like, oh, I'll never be fat again because being thin was <laughs> effortless, you know, but <laughs> yeah. during the fasting, I'm like, there's no way, you know, I'm ever going to put weight back on because I mean, I never became obese or anything, but you just, you, you became know, comfortable is probably what happened, you know? Yeah. You know, and then with my lifestyle, you know, not being what it should be, all the inflammation came back in. And I, with all the extra stress of being a business owner, found myself back to where I was before, you know, fighting off those feelings of depression anxiety, um, you know, intrusive suicidal thoughts sometimes, you know? So, um, fortunately I'm back to, you know, taking very good care of myself, um,
1: and yeah, now, I mean, we, now we get to actually help other people take good care of themselves too. I think yeah, that's
0: absolutely. <laughs> the biggest thing out of this. It's, but, you know, I think it's, it was a good lesson for me to learn to see that, you know, that's a, that's a requirement, you know, that's part of being resilient is you have to take care of yourself. And it's really the easiest part of it because you have control over it. You know, there's not this like weird thing that's happening that you don't have control over, you do. And once you do take control, make the decision, the choice to take care of yourself, like you know that you should, then everything else becomes a little bit easier. You know, now granted, if I'm driving down the interstate and there's an extremely loud noise that happens, I'm probably going to freak out a little bit. (laughs) You know, I haven't, I haven't necessarily figured out how to fix all that yet, but, you know, I don't wake up feeling like off myself anymore. Um, I love getting out of bed and uh, I have a lot more energy to do the things that I want to, you know, and, and, the, you know, that's what's really most important is just to be happy. So
1: You can't perform at those high levels if you're not happy. It's like impossible. It really is. Absolutely. I'm sure you, people have asked you this before. Um, but like looking back, like what is your, I guess, like what is your opinion um, on the Iraq war? Like now that, you know, it's been so long.
0: Really, you know, uh, I've reflected about it a lot. It's funny to me sort of that. Yeah, you know, some of the most challenging things that I've ever experienced uh, and had to overcome, you know, where I've lost friends, uh, personally suffered for years because of it, you know, or for something that I don't even really believe in anymore. You know, we went to Iraq on some false pre- pretense that the, there was weapons of mass destruction You know that was, I think, more relevant before I got there. Um, And I mean, really, even while I was in, all I really cared about, like I said, was getting my men home safe and get myself home safe. Uh, I didn't. I was never, you know, one to be like a hardcore believer and what we were doing there, I guess. Um, But I wasn't necessarily bothered by it. You know, I like the job. Um, You know, I like the professional aspect of what it actually takes to make those kinds of shots. Um, You know, I mean, honestly, that was my initial you know, interest in the the sniper community was the the increased level of professionalism that was required to do that job well. Um. And, you know, now, you know, it's just uh, it's just kind of sad, I guess. You know, thinking that so many men lost their lives, uh, you know. So many more men have lost their lives since leaving there, you know, um, that's awful. The amount of resources that, uh, are <clears throat> spent or wasted, if you will, on ineffective treatment for this PTSD, TBI, you know, uh, I've, I've lost friends to suicide since being out. Uh, I've seen other men really struggle. Guys that were heroes, you know, like they've done 15, 16 combat deployments. You know, saved so many other men's lives on those deployments. Get injured, get out, and crumble. You know, they get divorced get addicted to pain medication, drink too much. Now they're homeless and trying to kill themselves. You know, it's, it's really sad that that can happen to, you know, guys that were highly revered and respected in the military. that had outstanding careers, you know, get out of the military and end up homeless or, you know, taking their own life. <clears throat> It's pretty awful, so that's why you know i'm <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not really going to ever give up on figuring out the best way that I can communicate all these types of things to other veterans or literally anyone. It could be police officers, firefighters, people that work in healthcare. I know, you know, my wife she she was a, a nurse or a nurse manager during COVID, and you know, told me about what that was like and geez, geez, you know, people dying constantly, uh, understaffed, overworked for extremely long period of time. Um, you know, that can be incredibly stressful and traumatic, you know, so it doesn't matter necessarily what the source of trauma, everybody will experience trauma in their life. Um, you know, that's just, it's part of it. Um, but you know, I think very few people have somebody necessarily connect all these dots to you know, so that way it becomes common knowledge to where everybody understands like okay, if I experience something traumatic or stressful, here's what I need to do to overcome that adversity, you know, so that way it doesn't result in long form disorder, like PTSD, you know? Um, Yeah.
1: And from your, like, your whole, like, experience in the military, not just, um, you know, the Iraq war and your your two tours there, but um, your whole experience in the military, like what would you say is the most important thing that, like, you learned from that experience?
0: Um overcoming mental limitations, honestly, um, just, you know, like I said earlier, just putting in those reps, of um, day in and day out, like ignoring that quit sound in your head and, you know, that's, it's, it's translatable into literally every aspect of your life. You know, I remember being in college, like I was never some smart kid in high school. I didn't give a fuck. Like I'd, took a freshman science class my senior year. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I had three study halls. Like I did not care. And pretty much my entire life leading up to that point, felt like I was uh, an average student, you know, or average person in in terms of intelligence goes. And, you know, I, and then so when I started college, I approached it with the same mindset that I had developed in the military, um, which is, you know, extreme personal accountability and, you know, not letting anything, no matter how difficult it seems, uh, prevent me from being able to pursue it, you know, being non-deterministic, if you will, about my ability to literally do anything and so as i did did that in college you know very quickly you know people were recognizing me as being really smart and i'm like "Mm, it's pretty relative you know i just fucking try harder than you guys do (laughs) you know (laughs) um but, you know, I mean, it's true, you know, literally anything. Uh, if you just keep going and don't quit, uh, you can do whatever you want.
1: Yeah, I say it all the time. You can't quit unless you fail. You can't fail unless you quit <laughs> the opposite right. way around. But, but regardless, it it's true. I mean, it's literally impossible to fail unless you throw the towel in. Because um, you can just keep going. It's the same thing with the business. You know what I mean? Like, you just keep building and measuring and learning what you're doing. And um, it's, you just keep going. You keep moving forward in a straight line. You're going to eventually become successful.
0: I say it to our five-year-old all the time. It may seem difficult at first, but everything seems difficult at first. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I like that.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, what are the two most important things that you've learned about um, being like resilient? Uh, not just in military,
0: but like in your life as well. I think giving yourself the resources that are required to function optimally, you know, um, yeah, if, you know, start there, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of guys, uh, and, and no discredit to them, but, you know, they start struggling with mental health problems or health problems. I mean, if your health is fucked up, you know, that's, that's your number one problem in life. Uh, if you wake up every day and you hurt, um, you know, whether that be mental or physical, like that's your number one problem, let alone, you know, trying to tackle something like starting a business or, you know, achieving some kind of lofty goal in your career or having a successful, happy relationship, you know? So I think, you know, really giving yourself the resources, that you need are optimizing those biological resources so that way, you know, when you do encounter something stressful that everything is fully online to be able to address that. Um number 2 would be yeah, you know, mindset probably. You literally read my mind. <laughs> I was going to say mindset. <laughs> I mean, you can look at you know, any situation, you know, from different perspectives, you know, I know when I was in the throes of, you know, awful depression, you know, there could be, you know, something happens, say, you know, <clears throat> um, I get some large unexpected bill and I don't have any money to pay for it, right? Right. Uh, In in, in the inflamed, depressed state, that's a crisis, you know, Uh, it's awful. It would completely, you know, crush you. But when you're crushing the gym and your nutrition and those types of situations occur and you have... A growth mindset, then, you know, when that that kind of stuff happens in you, it just looks like another problem to solve. You know, you become more solutions oriented versus victimized by those types of situations.
1: Yeah, it's just an obstacle to overcome. That's literally what it is. I feel like. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with listeners about your experience? Um, that may be helpful for like, you know, anyone that's still struggling to gain a foothold in their life, whether it's from the military or, you know, whatever traumas that they've experienced that are causing them to, you know, feel the way they do.
0: Yeah. I mean, I gave you two things that I feel like were really important. I think the, I would say uh, a third would be, you know, having a good support network you know, or at least taking advantage of it. You know, if you're struggling regardless of what it is, you know, realize that you're not alone in feeling that way. You know, so many people, uh, and probably almost everyone at one point in their life are feeling the exact same way that you do, you know, or similar to it. And, For some reason, we all uh, develop this perception that um, we're a bother, you know, we feel very isolated or lonely when we're depressed and, you know, we don't want to be perceived as weak, but I'll tell you firsthand from my experience and from a lot of other men that have been through similar, if not worse, experiences as I have, that just talking about what you're going through to someone, you know, being vulnerable and sharing that is probably one of the most powerful things that you can do.
1: It's a strength. That's literally what it is. It's a superpower because it helps you overcome that, that, that feeling that you actually are weak, you know, and I feel like people that are able to, you know, that share that vulnerability like, they're the ones that are strong, not, not the opposite around, which is, you know, what kind of society and like a lot of men like perceive it as, but, um, you know, as your, as your example in the green zone from that first video on the YouTube channel, um, you know, the first suggested, the, the first suggestion, you know, that the, the mental health professional talked to you guys about was literally talking about what you're going through. And, um, I feel like that's the biggest thing with the support system, because, you know, that's what it's there for. It's your, your, your support system is there. So you can talk to them and be able to let them know, like, you know, whatever you're going through and they're there to help you out in the long run. And, um, without that system, it's going to be hard to, you know, maintain those resources and that, that strong mindset, but, um, you don't need it. You can still have that strong mindset with the resources around you, that you have at your fingertips, but the support system is definitely there to help. I, that's my take on it. Absolutely. All right, well, this is the first episode of the Art of Resilience by Extreme Resilience. A lot more stories like this coming in the future. Um, you know, we want people to come and listen to, you know, high performers and, you know, how they got to where they're at right now, the struggles that they're going through and the resources that they use to be able to, you know, battle their struggles and also maintain that high performance in their own lives. Um, but thanks for listening in. And as we go through these these new episodes and, um, you know, time goes on, we're going to be finding our voices a lot more. I'm sure there's a lot of mistakes that are probably in this, but, you know, it's just part of the game. And it's part of like, you know, really um, finding our voices for this podcast, really. Uh, But Jim's story was amazing. Um, And you're going to, you're going to hear more and more about his, you know, his experiences um, through his, his life and uh, our experiences as well. And, you know, our takes and our advice, but we're really doing this to be able to give everyone the right resources so they can have you know that extreme resilient mindset in their lives as well. Um, but thanks for listening in again and we'll catch you on the next one. Thank you so much everyone for listening. We really hope you liked this episode. Please don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe to our channel. It truly helps and we appreciate it immensely. And one last thing guys, please share this video to everyone you think it may help. It allows our content to reach those that may need it most. But all right, see you next time. Peace.